0: All right, well, thank you everybody for dropping by. My goodness, it's a triple ten. 10. Uh, it's the 10th of October, 2010, just after 2 p.m. And uh, I just came back last night from Philadelphia where I spoke at the Students for Liberty National Regional Conference, which was a great deal of fun. Met some really nice people and got some good, uh, very interesting speaking invitations to go further. I think the speech went very well. Uh, certainly, um, uh, audience feedback was very, uh, seemed very positive, and so, again, thanks everybody to, uh, who donates to make that kind of stuff possible. Uh, student organizations don't have a lot of money, so I did uh, pay my own way down and all of that, so uh, it's your donations that make all of that uh, possible, and about 175 student leaders in the liberty movement who got to hear, I think, a fairly good argument for statelessness and uh, uh, had some very good questions and very good comments, so... So good stuff, and um, I guess we'll keep it short to start with and uh, see if we have uh, any questions from the listeners. You can type them into the chat room. We can call a telephone if you don't have uh, Skype. Uh, You can also call us if you let James P know, 315-876-9705. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm all ears. Hello, can you hear me? I sure can.
1: Oh hey, how are
0: you? I'm fine. How are you doing?
2: Hello.
1: I'm pretty good. How are you? Um, <laughs> I'm a little nervous, obviously, but um, uh, uh, I'm not exactly sure what uh, what I what I why I called. Uh, I'm Juan, by the way. I, we've talked. We've uh, uh, sent you a couple of emails about a situation that I'm having at home <clears throat> and like uh, something that uh, about a conversation that I had with a few FDR members. But um, I think I think that. What the reason that I call this that um, like, one of my concerns right now is that i just started i just started school at um well i'm starting sort of like social work and uh, what i'm going to be doing when I come out is i'll be working with addicts and uh, people that are you know maybe uh, um, that, that have had real rough childhoods obviously that are maybe kids that are, that are living in in, in household homes or, or older people there's there's a wide range of, of people that i I could be working with, but uh, it's going to be mainly uh, with people in the lower, you know, the the ones that are are having the roughest times, right? And uh, one of the concerns that have come up for me is uh, I'm worried of how how much I'll be able to empathize with people who maybe have been violent to children or have people have been, uh, who have been, um, who well, have done the things that we consider immoral, right? I, I'm just, I'm just kind of concerned about how I'll be able to help them if I'm thinking, you know, this person, right? And I know that that, that sympathy kind of comes in there, but I don't know if you, if, if I'm being very clear, or, or what your thoughts are on that.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, when you said we consider immoral, um, what do you mean by that?
1: Oh, well, I mean like maybe people who have um, who have initiated violence against kids have been have been abusive or. Uh, who, um, who will be verbally aggressive against me perhaps, or will be, you know, obviously won't have too much self-knowledge based on their situation. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, um, people who, who... Oh, hello. Do we lose you? Yeah, I think that that's... No, okay, oh, can you hear me? Sorry, can you hear
0: me? Yeah, okay, first of all, let's, let's look at the bigger question, which is why, uh, why would you be drawn to that kind of environment? interesting yeah good question um,
1: um I, I think mean, that do, I've you a, do you
0: have an experience of uh, with verbal aggression or abuse within your own family yeah i do uh verbal all right and uh, have you gone through therapy
1: uh i am i have taken a few uh a few uh a few sessions of therapy before and I'm taking them. Um, I have a counselor right now, which is not, she's not a therapist, but I have been in it and I'm, I'm doing it right now. Perhaps I'm still living in the living situation though. Like I still live with, uh, with my dad and uh, which has been, uh, who, who has taken part in that and uh, he's actually here right now. So I'm just going to sneak out a bit.
0: Sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, go on. Okay. So why do you think that you're drawn to that uh, occupation? Shit. Uh, I'm not. Well, I'm, look, just, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just. Yeah, right. I'm just curious if if you know why, because right. I wouldn't. I personally would not put myself back in an abusive situation uh, without a good, good, good degree of self knowledge about what was going on.
1: Right. Right. Well, there's a few. There's a few uh, reasons that I can think of right now. Uh, first, I've always been like into psychology. I've always liked psychology a lot. But um, and so like helping people and just talking to people about their problems and just kind of making you know helping. Just helping people work through family problems right so that that's been a great part uh, a great more motiva- motivation for me and that uh, the other part is that it's like a short one-year program whereas uh, as soon as i'm done i'll be out working and doing you know like actually working with people so that that has been another motiv- motivation for that but uh, yeah i have been i have to get thought about that like okay if I'm, I'm trying to get out of this abusive situation why would i get into that field again and uh, i'm I'm not sure if there's something else similar reason. I don't
0: know. Absolutely, I guarantee you that there's other stuff because yeah. the answer that you gave me is all very surface and pragmatic, and yeah. your motivations for for being drawn towards this kind of work uh, will be very deep and complex because you have a history with this, right? So, uh, so I, I personally would would make very would make very sure that I knew what I was doing before I put myself back into that. I mean, the last thing you'd want to do is to. You know Simon the boxer yourself and put you back in situations of um, abusive victimhood with uh, potential patients yeah uh, you'd really want to make sure that you weren't doing that. That would be uh, very self harming and very yeah. damaging to you. so yeah. uh, I, I would definitely uh, you know to sit down with a counselor and and just talk about all this stuff before you commit to this that's the one thing now, the second thing that I'll say. And I, you know, this is just my opinion, right? I, I'm not saying I have a lot of facts to back this up, but I have a fair amount of uh, ideas and experience in this area. Right. Um, uh, abusers do not go in for psychological treatment. Hmm. Interesting. Right, so so the guy who gets robbed, he goes to the cops. The thief does not. Right. Right, because a, a, an abuser is all about keeping secrets, right? They They keep secrets and they force... They're victims to keep secrets as well. And so since therapy is about self-confrontation and it is about truly liberating and excruciating honesty with yourself and with others, it is entirely counter to the methodology of an abuser. An abuser is about taking secrets, locking them in lead boxes and throwing them in the bottom of the ocean with his victims attached uh, therapy is about uncovering a secret so it runs in the complete opposite direction and so somebody who's been an abuser who's had a chance to abuse kids and you know he's probably in his 40s by the time this may come out and so he's had decades of experience in hiding the bodies in keeping the secrets in keeping his victims uh, you know shutting the hell up so since his entire being is dedicated to entombing and locking away and keeping hidden and misdirecting and evading secrets, the, the likelihood that he's going to go into therapy or she's going to go into therapy is almost zero because it is the complete opposite of everything that he's been doing. So, I, you know, maybe you'll get court mandated therapy with somebody who's an abuser or whatever, but uh, it you know, by the time you're that old and by the time you've done that much harm, if you've done a lot of harm to kids, I mean, the chance of reversals, I mean, just seem to me extraordinarily slim. Now, of course, I, I don't have any scientific studies behind this, but, you know, we've, we've talked about a lot of victims here on this show over the years. And uh, I don't know of somebody who's been seriously victimized by a parent whose parent has gone to get the requisite help and it's turned around and it's gotten better. And, I mean, it's not a scientific survey, but it's also not completely unimportant that I can't think of a single time that it's happened. Uh, yeah. so, uh, so I wouldn't, you know, I don't think that's a significant concern. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the victims will come to you because the victims are the victims of secrets, whereas mm-hmm. the abusers are the, uh, the perpetrators of secrets. So, uh, you know, the rape right. victim will go to the cops. The rapist won't. Uh, and that's, I think, the, uh, the difference. Right, right, right. Thank you. Thank you. I think that's a great answer. Um,
1: I, ha- I, had a th- I had a thought while you were saying that. I don't know how, how deep you want to go into this, but... Uh, um, well, basically... Okay, I'll, I'll j- I'm just going to say what I, what, I, what I was thinking. I'm uh, um, sure barbecue... You know after meeting these great people and this you know all vulnerable and honest and respectful people it's just amazing right after coming back here and, and, and i have to you know re-experience all this kind of uh, kind of stuff and this and you know realize that i have to like start from scratch right i think i think that that really showed me i don't know I, I think that that triggered or i'm not sure but uh after that i started to notice like how my expectations of myself and of people uh are like really really have a like huge disparity right so well, no, well, I think that that's uh, maybe deeper down into my 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 concern about this this empathy thing, uh, which is not to say that 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 their stuff's not valid, but but I think that I've noticed that if I if I'm talking to somebody at, at school, kind of about themselves, and they're they're not very deep or whatnot, I'll. I'll in my mind, I'll judge them very harshly be like, okay, this person has no self-knowledge or, you know, this person has, you know, I couldn't have a honest conversation with him or her. And it might be true, but I think, you know, I'm I'm concerned that how that is going to play out with people who are actually, who are not even studying, you know, the same uh, social work, but are actually going going to be the clients. Right. And maybe that's obvious that that's my, I think it is my thing. I think uh, I've had a few thoughts on it. Like maybe uh, some sort of arrogance for, like, self-esteem issue or, or something like that, but I just I don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
0: Well, I'm, I'm concerned that you would call your own judgment harsh. Mm-hmm. Look, there's no such thing as a harsh judgment. There's no such thing as a harsh judgment. A judgment, it, it's like saying there's, there's a harsh equation in mathematics. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, an equation in mathematics... I mean, you either solve it correctly or you don't. Uh-huh. You know, if, if somebody asks me, what's the capital of Nepal, and I get it wrong, it's not a harsh answer. It's just incorrect. So, so for you, uh, if, you're to speak, if you're talking to someone and you get a strong experience or feeling that this person avoids self-knowledge, there's no such thing as no self-knowledge, right? Everybody knows mm-hmm. something about themselves, even if it's just their name, where their birthmarks are, <laughs> and where they were <laughs> born, right? Or, sure. or whether they're hot or cold <laughs> or, or neutral <laughs> in the moment, right? Everybody has some self-knowledge, right? But mm-hmm. the, the, the difference or the challenge is whether the person is actively pursuing self-knowledge that, is, that, that they're opposed to. Right. The the only thing that uh, uh, that we really need to work at to pursue is the self knowledge that we don't want to have, that that, or rather, that the the alter egos in our minds don't want us to have. Right. So if we grew up in abusive households, then we have to keep secrets, we have to hide in plain sight, and uh, we have to uh, pretend that everything is fine, and then we have to appease, and we have to placate, and we have to pretend to be normal and adjusted in a world that is allowing us to be attacked in this kind of way and is surrendering us to predators on a regular basis. So it's a, it's a fucked up kind of existence. Uh, and and what, what lingers is our relationship with society, not our relationship with the abusers. Because we can choose not to associate with our abusers, but we can't choose not to associate with the society that does nothing to protect us and scorns, mocks, avoids us when we bring up The iniquities within society, right? So, like a basic example, is that one out of five women and one out of ten men experience sexual abuse as children, according to pretty much worldwide and reliable statistics. One in ten men and one in five women experience sexual abuse as children, and uh, you know, you think think you're you know, if you're in a party, then with 30 or 40 people, right? Let's just say you're in a party with with 50. Uh, let's say you're at a party with 100 people, right? So 20 women there and 10 men experience sexual abuse, and those are just the people who admit it, and that's just sexual abuse, wow. right? Well, so, yes. and yet it's it's this massive thing that is not talked about in society. And if you try to bring it up, right? This is one of the few places in the world where you can talk about this stuff, and uh, it is not uh, uh, it is not rejected. It is not. There's no eye rolling. There's no turning away. There's no. Horror. There's no shock. There's no right. There's just a space for listening and talking about these things. And so, with um, uh, with most people, they're, they've been trained. If they've gone through an abusive situation, they've been trained to avoid self knowledge, the the knowledge of who their parents are, the knowledge of what was done to them, the knowledge of society as a whole. And so, if they continue into adulthood with this avoidance. Of self-knowledge, uh, the avoidance of the truth of their histories and the truth of their situation, their families, their environment, their culture, their religion, their schooling, everything, their government—for heaven's sakes—well, what's if you judge them to be self-avoidant? What's what's harsh about that? I mean, you read the right, or you're wrong, right? And right. I do, but I don't see how it would be harsh or not harsh.
1: Right. Okay. Okay. Um, My thought on that was. Um, I think that obviously that's a great answer. And I think that that's very, I've never heard that, that, uh, that, that, uh, that way of seeing. I think that's very wise. And I like that. But my thought was that if I, if I, if I open, if I say, okay, my judgments might be either true or not, then I have to accept that in people as well. And that would mean accepting my dad's judgments. And that that was just my thought on it.
0: Uh, How would. Oh, no, no. Sorry. 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 Let's go back. So I I just, just say that again. I may have misunderstood you.
1: Right. Uh, my thought, my, my, my reasoning there was like, if, if, I, if I open my judgments to be either, you know, like binary, right? Like uh, it's either right or wrong. And, uh, but it's, it, it's going to be either, if it's, if, if it's a strong judgment, it's going to be right or wrong. Have I'm to sorry, what is a strong
0: ju- Sorry, wait, wait. What is a strong judgment? You keep putting these adjectives in front yeah, of the word judgment that I don't understand. Okay. And if I say <laughs> the world is round and not flat, is that yeah. a strong judgment?
1: No, 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 it's not. It's, it's a true judgment. No,
0: right? and I look I I'll, I'll tell you why you're doing this, right? Just just okay. in the interest of time. The reason you're doing this is that you were exposed to uh, judgments, quote judgments that were inflicted in an, in an abusive way upon you as a child, right? Right, right. And so for right. you, the term judgment is very loaded because it is it has been used in an abusive fashion in the past, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's true. And so so you're afraid of judgment because the judgment is, right? Like, I, yeah. I remember um, uh, not to compare you to a dog, but I will right. compare you to a dog. <laughs> so okay. when I first came to Canada when I was 12, we stayed with my uncle, and um, uh, they had a, a, a beautiful collie dog. I've always loved collies. I think they're fantastic. And uh, this the dog uh, was, was very friendly and very happy, and I, I really enjoyed spending time with the dog. And then one day my... Uncle asked me to rake the leaves in the front yard, and the dog was out, and I picked up the rake to rake the leaves, and the dog ran howling and tried to wedge himself under the car. Okay. And I was confused, and my uncle said, "Uh, yeah, somebody hit him with a rake. Oh, wow. Now, I mean, I'm not even going to speculate, right? who it right. actually was, doesn't really matter. The yeah, point is yeah. that if, if something like a rake is used in an abusive way, an animal has a very tough time seeing it as just a rake, right? Mm-hmm. right somebody picks up a rake, could be to rake leaves, could be to hit me, I'm not going to take the chance. So the rake right. is no longer something you use to gather leaves, it is something you use to inflict vicious pain on someone, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, what I'm, why I'm saying this, Juan, is I'm concerned, and I think it's inevitable, and I, I think it's natural, but it's something to be aware of. Where <laughs> judgment has become like a rake. To you. Mm-hmm. you understand, right. right? Yeah, I do. I do.
1: Don't so, be afraid.
0: Wow, of, okay. Um, right? Because I tell you, the, the dog was not fundamentally afraid of the rake. Because the rake is just a thing. The rake, can't do the, the rake cannot do the dog any harm. It can't jump off the wall and smack it in the head, right? Mm-hmm, so it right. is not... Like, we tend to shift our judgment to things because it's too scary to judge people. Right? right. So you shift your judgment... To, you shift your, your anger and your fear and your hostility to the word judgment, which is why you keep giving it these pejorative words, right? right? But it's not the judgment that you're afraid of. It's the judger. It's not the act of judging that you're afraid of, any more than the dog was afraid of the rake. The dog was afraid of the man wielding the rake, not the rake. It's really important not to confuse the two. So judgment is fine. It is not judgment that has any problem, any negativity, any problems. Like anger, right? People, uh, they also think that anger is like the rake. <laughs> right? So now anger becomes a bad thing. But there's nothing wrong with anger. Anger is damn healthy. So you have a judgment that somebody is self-avoidant, avoids self-knowledge, but then it's like, oh, shit, judgment is like a rake. I better drop it because rakes are bad. Judgment is bad. Judgment is harsh. Judgment is strong. No. Judgment is just an evaluation. Anger is simply the experience of violation. There's nothing wrong with it. Anger that is used as an abuse, as as a tool of abuse, is like a rake that is picked up and used to hit someone. The problem is not the rake, and the problem is not anger. The problem is whoever is using these tools or states or words... In an abusive fashion. The problem is uh-huh. the abuser, not the thing that he's using. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Right. Wow. Okay, so, so basically, it's differentiating my, my, my anger, my fear of judgment, and just from, you know, making the difference between judgment just as a, as a, just exactly what you said. I, I, I understand.
0: Yeah, I mean, and just, just to sort of attack, attack a, a larger perspective on it, right? So uh, in the 20th century, people who were certain, some, some people who were certain were very dangerous, right? So people who were certain that, that Jews were, were evil, uh, like the Nazis, they, they did some staggeringly evil things. Uh, people who were certain that capitalists were evil and the proletariat was no the communists, you know, slaughtered people by the tens of millions. So people who were very certain... became very dangerous and world wars were fought between various kinds of certainty. And then after the second world war, you saw a rise of this addiction to relativism. In other words, certainty is dangerous. Certainty is bad. Certainty is evil. Certainty is genocidal. Certainty starts wars. So certainty is the problem. Mm -hmm. And anybody who's certain is an absolutist, is an ideologue, is judgmental, is defensive, is brittle, is aggressive, all of these pejoratives. But certainty wasn't the problem. Irrationality was the problem. Bigotry was the problem. But to conflate bigotry with certainty is ridiculous because people are certain that certainty is problematic. People are certain that bigotry is bad. (sighs) So certainty right. can't be both good and bad. So certainty, and, and people who are raised in, you know, households or, or environments where, you know, it's typically called judgmental, somebody who's judgmental. Well, it's like, okay, so judgment is bad. It's like, is that your judgment? <laughs> right? It doesn't work right. logically, right? You can't throw out judgment. You can't throw out certainty. You can't throw out anger. You can't throw out perceptiveness. You can't throw out reasoning. I mean, you can, but that's just surrendering to the bad guys. Just because right. people use a rake to hit a dog doesn't mean that you can't sweep up your mental leaves. Right? Right. You just have to recognize that the immorality is not in the rake. Right? The rake can't be evil. Right? Yeah. Any more uh-huh. than a piece of metal can be evil. Right? It wasn't the fact that there were walls at Auschwitz that kept the Jews in. It's the fact that people would shoot them if they tried to leave. And it wasn't the guns that were evil, and it wasn't the uniforms that were evil. It was the individuals who were committing these atrocities. So it's very, very important that we continue to focus our moral outrage back upon the individuals and not be distracted by the accidents of however they happened to be abusive. Right, 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 right,
1: Okay. Um, yeah, I think I think that, that clarification is is very helpful. Good. Um, yeah. Don't
0: don't throw out yeah, your judgment. Okay. You you will absolutely need it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it I think well. to be an effective counselor, I think judgment is very important. Sorry, sorry, I can't hear you very well. It's, it's, oh, it's to be an effective counselor, trouble, judgment is uh, judgment is very important. Right. Right. And and, um, and, and helping your, your patients discover the value of their own judgment is very important. Mm, mm, interesting. Yeah. Wow. That's deep. Wow. I mean, all because right, self-knowledge right. is self-trust, right? So once you know yourself, uh, you can trust yourself because you're not being blindsided by unconscious weirdness. Uh, so self-knowledge is self-trust, but you can't trust yourself without trusting your judgment. I think the two are sort of one and the same. Right. And and most of judgment is saying no. Most of judgment is saying no, right? So uh, you go to a party where there are twenty women, and let's say you 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 want to date someone. You want to you know you're there looking for a woman to have a relationship with, or at least go out on a date with, or ask out at least, or whatever, right? So it seems unlikely to me that you're going to go to each twenty woman randomly and just ask them out, right? You're going to see who may be appealing to you, who may be interesting, who may have a positive air about her or whatever, right? Whatever you find attractive. And you're going to go and ask that person out. (laughs) And unless you're, I don't know, a bit of a real player, you're not just going to go, oh, well, she said no. So I'm going to go ask some woman out. Oh, she said no. I'm going to ask some other woman out at the same party, right? That's kind of of cheesy, right? So you ask that one woman out and you're saying no to, you're not saying yes, I want to go out with one woman. You're saying no, I don't want to go out with 19 other women. Every right. job you take is 100 jobs that you don't, you don't take or at least look for. Every friend you have or every friend you keep, like I stayed friends with maybe two or three people out of a high school of 2000. Right. So I said no. Right. We say no a lot more than we say yes. Far more. Every you know, We chose to live in this house, which meant that we did not choose to live in the other 20 houses we looked at. I chose to buy this car after test driving 10 other cars, right? Said no to all of the others. You buy one mm-hmm. computer, you said no, you understand, right? So yeah, yeah, most do. judgment is negative. Most of judgment is negative, and most of judgment is rejection. It's important mm-hmm. to remember that if you're on the, because we're on the receiving end of it a lot, a lot as well, right? So it's just important that most judgment yeah. is rejection. It's not personal, at least not usually, but it's definitely uh, necessary, right? Right, right. But abusers are hypersensitive to rejection, right? Because they know they deserve it, so they're hypersensitive to it. Like in the same way that a guy who's passing over a bad check is hypersensitive to you phoning the bank to check out whether his check is worthwhile because he knows it's not, so he's hypersensitive to you doing that. So abusers are hypersensitive to rejection, and so they can't tolerate it when you don't want to do something that they want to do or you judge them in some negative way. They can't take it. So our negative judgment gets stifled and controlled in an abusive environment which means we don't have the capacity to say no, which is fundamentally what we need to do for most of our lives, is say no, to set boundaries. <laughs> which is why people who've been through abusive histories tend to be so easy to exploit, because they just, they can't say no. Users can't hear enough. Oh, wow. Wow, yeah. Wow. So wow. I just want to be cautious about negatively judging your judgment. <laughs> right? But, <laughs> All
2: right.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh wow. That's that's immensely helpful. Wow. Um. All right. Uh. Thank you so much. I think I think that that, that definitely clears it up and gives me some food for thought for the next uh, few months.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad it was helpful. I hope that it works out. Yeah, yeah. All
1: right. Thank you so much, Steph. Uh, you have a great day and enjoy the sun if if it ends early. <laughs> Hello. Uh,
0: thank you. All right. Um. Take care. <laughs>
1: Sorry, is there anything else that you would like to Or
0: No, I'm going to see if there's anybody else who um, has uh, comments or questions. Okay, sounds great. Thank you so much. I'll take care. All
3: right, bye. Uh, hello? Hello. Hi, um, Asaph. Uh, I had a question. Um, I was talking to a friend the other night about... Um, uh, certain thing having to deal with uh, jobs and, um, and also having to, uh, and well, maybe not just jobs but careers. And um, there's this saying, I'm not sure if I'm quoting you correctly or, or if this was uh, correctly looking, but it, you know, it, the idea that if you want to be doing something, then you would be doing it. And if you're not doing it, then you don't really want to be doing it. And this, Holding these ideas and these mythologies inside our heads that uh, you know I really want to do this, I have these these lofty goals and things in, in in the distance in my mind of things that I really want to be doing but i'm I'm not doing them they're they're not um, in the immediate, and um, I may see myself working toward them um, but uh, there's also the idea that you know you're never going to be hundred percent ready to do anything, so you know why not just Okay, do well, them sorry now? Uh,
0: sorry, just to pull it out of the abstract because oh right. <laughs> What are you talking about doing or not doing? Give me something specific.
3: Okay, okay.
0: Um, let's just say... Um, no, no, no. Let's, not, not, <laughs> let's just say you have <laughs> things that you want to do. So let's not invent some fictional cousin who wants to become a ballerina. Let's talk about your twinkle toes.
3: But that's so much safer stuff. But anyway... I know, um,
0: <laughs> I know. Look, if you want safe, you need a, another show. Because that's not what we're about. <laughs> but um, I guess... Well, let's not, um, I guess, not, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Oh man, you're going to make me work for my better today, aren't you? Um, what do you want to do? I want to
3: create and work on like a YouTube, uh, channel and do some kind of, um, uh, show some sort of philosophy meets, uh, heavy metal type, um, idea and expand upon that. And also, um, work toward creating some sort of taking my two interests, um, both, um, my interests in that and, and the introspection that comes from a certain culture of like heavy metal and the idea of, um, and some of the, some of the horror movies that I've watched and trying to introspect and see why did I like them? What was the interest? What part of my trauma or my childhood it inspired me to like those movies and where are they coming from and dissecting that and also dissecting, um, different parts of the heavy metal scene psychologically. Like, why are we attracted to this type of music? Why does this part of, you know, why do I feel like this is the most interesting? Why would I listen to something that, you know, most people would be clawing at the walls to get away from that I find, you know, uh, resonates with me um, on on a deep level. And so there's an interest in wanting to take those two worlds um, both philosophy psychology and 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 uh, metal and, and uh, some of the subculture that's in there and combine it and turn it into um, some sort of uh, platform to present to people um, that are interested in those sort of things and might be interested in introspecting on them and um, yeah so that's my dream per se and that that's kind of it's scary to say because it's like
0: <laughs> um, you know I think it sounds uh, I mean I think it sounds fantastic to be honest I think it's I think it's I think it's great. I think to take a genre of music and to start to explore it from a self-knowledge and psychology and philosophical perspective, I think is, I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant, and I think it could do a lot of good. But, but why is it that you want to do this? What's what's the goal? How will you know if you succeeded or not? Um, I mean, and then it's a, it's not a binary thing, success, right? right it's right. not a one. But but in general, right? Well, the
3: thought behind it was that a it would just make me happy. Um, being able to put my fingers in all the you know the pies that I like you know I, I like heavy metal I like psychology I like philosophy what would I do every day that would make me happy would be to do this you know to to, to have that and to create a a a a, a, a community around that and there are, or at least people that were interested in bring those people closer to me and also to be able to um you know to help other people to kind of introspect and look at the things that maybe they wouldn't look at if it's in any other platform or any other medium that they would like, you know, Oh, he's got a bunch of heavy metal stuff. Oh, this is cool. I'm looking what the hell is this other stuff he's talking, about? <laughs> you know, it, it's, right. um, you know, it, it'd be something else to, to pull people into and, um, you know, uh, there is, there is a selfish part of me that's like, oh, great, I can pull more people in who like, actually like metal and we can talk about this and we can talk about psychology and philosophy. And I could kind of, uh, you know, also, uh, you know, kind of a, a group a group thing and a community thing. And then also as well as, you know, just helping people in, in general. Uh, but I mean. All right. All right,
0: base- all right. Hang on. Hang on. Sorry. I, yes. it's, it's too much for me to follow. But let me okay, see if I sorry. make sure that I understand. Right. So, I mean, you could do all of this on your own. Right. But you want to share it. With others, right? Right. And uh, there's, if, if you're going to share something with others, they ha- we're going to assume there's some benefit to, to them, right?
3: Right, right.
0: I mean, if I, I don't know, if I'm Mistress Dominatrix Weaselhead and I, I share my <laughs> fetish dungeon with other people, I assume it's because they enjoy having me put my stiletto... <laughs> heels on their nether regions or whatever. At least there's some creepy benefit to them that way, right? So if you're going to share something, we're going to assume that it has some benefit to, to other people, right? So my question is, what's the benefit, right? Because, I mean, uh, the benefit for, uh, for this show is, is freedom, right? right? That, that's what I want to try and give uh, or, or stimulate or provoke in other people is freedom uh, and freedom from illusion uh, and uh, through, primarily through self-knowledge that is that is the goal, right? So it's it's to do good uh, in the world that I'm doing what I'm doing, right? And so that's just my sort of simple thing, right? I want to just challenge people to confront their illusions and surround them and, you know, flap away uh, in the free sky of self-knowledge. So uh, what is the benefit that people would receive on looking at your channel?
3: It would allow them... Uh... It would allow them the ability to go a little bit deeper, uh, deeper introspection, to allow them to start to slowly um, realize the different types of ways in their lives that they are, um, that they can't, that they are and can be imprisoned by society and culture. Um, the the idea for me, I, I, I don't, I don't think I ever got around to the actual idea or the word freedom, but it was, it was definitely an idea of wanting to help them pull away from. Uh, abusive situations um, the uh, the main thing to get to them is to give them uh, the ability to um, to live a, to live a happy life to live a life where they don't have where they don't have to be prisoners of these emotions where they can be free from them and not be trapped by them because I know that you know I can it, with the the trauma and, and the and the uh, uh, abuse and the pain that I know that 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 personally firsthand obviously I know that that can be a prison and I I don't want people to live in that prison. I especially don't want people in the genre of music that I love so much to be trapped in it as well. I want them to be able to be, um, you know, to be free of that. To be able to see the world without having to be um, locked into those, uh, locked into those either cliches or or. or um, uh, 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 you know labyrinths of thought that that keep them self abusing, keep them self attacking, um, you know instead of them using metal or using the idea of of that kind of uh, passionate um, spirit as something that you know is has them as evil and beaten down that it's something that actually inspires them to um, you know, to see it as a, as something that's liberating, something that is actually going to keep them out of a place of uh, abuse and a place where they can actually um, gain more control over their life, where it's not excess of drugs and alcohol and you know and other things like that, where it can slowly allow them um, uh, more control over their life, their destiny, and allow them to uh, yeah, like I mean, generally what you were saying to to be free.
0: Right, uh, I don't, Have you listened to, uh, I put a podcast out recently, which is a review of American Psycho.
3: No, I looked for it and looked for it, and I, I, I didn't see the uh, the actual thing. I, I, what, is that on the is that in the uh, premium or is it? Um, no, no, it's um,
0: uh, it's uh, FDR seventeen fifty nine. I'll throw it in the chat window right now. Uh, and the reason I'm saying that is that the thesis is um, uh, my thesis is that. Uh, American Psycho is um, a, a plea for recognition of child abuse, right? So the writer was, uh, uh, has based the character of this murderous sociopath, he's openly said he's, he's, he based it on his father, who was uh, an, an abusive, horribly abusive man and a drunk. And so he's writing this book saying, this is my father. And so to me, that's very clear. He's saying, look, I was raised by a murderer. And so it's sort of like a – it's not a plea for help exactly, but it's definitely a plea for recognition for what he went through. And uh, nobody – not one interview, and I read quite a few of them, not one interview, interviewer ever asked him about this. Or told oh, oh, it's about American materialism and excess and capitalism and greed and yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's like bullshit. What utter load of nonsense. It's about a guy saying, I was raised by a murderer. And nobody talks about this. And, of course, in the novel – uh, sorry, in the movie, I'm still plowing my way through the novel. But in the movie, the guy continually says, hey, do you know, did you know I like to dissect, girl, dissect girls and that I'm completely insane? Right, right. Uh, I, you know, that I have homicidal tendencies that I simply cannot succumb, that I'm, you know, succumbing to more and more bloodlust. And he hands bloody sheets to someone and says, you, you deal with the cleaner about getting these clean. And nobody, nobody recognizes what he's doing, even though he's openly stating it. Right. So, anyway, I won't go into the podcast because it's—I think it's a long and, and I think very good podcast. So, you know, have a listen to it. But
3: definitely, definitely, uh,
0: along the lines. Look, I'm not trying to define your show. I'm not right. But but you definitely are scattered, if you don't mind me saying so, and I understand right. that. But if if I understand what you're saying, and you know, tell me if I don't. But if I understand what you're saying, you're saying, look, people are, are drawn to to heavy metal because they had harsh childhoods. Right. And it's not like I want them to give up their love of this music. But if somebody says, I'm really into heavy metal, what they're really saying is, this is the only way that I can tell you I had a bad childhood. And what you want to say is, hey, I understand you had a bad childhood. This uh, music is a symptom of that. It doesn't mean that you can't like it. But I want you to understand that I get it. I get what you're telling me. Do you know, people are always telling you everything. People are always telling you everything, 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 all the time. And the great tragedy, isolation, humiliation, indignation, and loneliness of human existence is that everybody is telling everyone all the time like they're speaking through a megaphone with skywriting. The constellations are moving to spell out the secrecies of their history. And nobody listens. And nobody looks and nobody sees. And I think what you want to set up is a place where it's like, hey, I share this enthusiasm. I know my history. I know the relationship between my enthusiasm and this history. And I want you to see it too. Not to drop the music, but to see the source of its power for you. Because that may free you. Right. Is that again, I'm not trying to tell you what your show is about. I'm just, this is what I'm trying to glean out of what you're saying with my own prejudice bias as well. Right. But
3: right. Well, you have a way with language that I I don't. So, (laughs) but uh, no, I, I think you're, 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 you're dead on. Definitely. I think you're, you're, you're dead on. Um, uh, uh, just, to, on a side note. Um, yeah, I mean, American psycho was my most favorite movie along with the TV episode Dexter. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, I watched the
0: very first one, um, but I could not uh, quite get into it. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's, look, I, I think what you're doing would be a good thing to do. Uh, I think it would be a good thing to do. Uh, so the, the question is why aren't you doing it?
3: Yeah, exactly. That was, that was the whole, um, that was the whole thing. Like, why was, uh, why, why am I not doing it? Um, and, uh, uh, I, I mean, the, there's not like there isn't a short of programs or things that I can do to, to get it started. And, and why haven't I but, started it? Oh, come
0: on. you Look, you, you, you get the privilege of me not listening to nonsense from you because you've been around for a while. <laughs> so uh, so you, you know exactly why you're not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Why aren't there's, you doing it? Um, fear, I think. Of course. And, and fear of what? Uh, fear of failure. Uh, fear of... No, 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 no. No, look. <laughs> I like the way the people just randomly get... Okay, what's a negative word? Failure. Okay, maybe I'm afraid of that. <laughs> fear of stubbing my toe. Fear of elves. Fear of spiders. <laughs> Ghosts. Right? These are all negative things. Fear of the dark. No. And I'll tell you why it's not fear of failure. It's because you're already failing.
3: Huh. Oh, good point.
0: <laughs> right. So, so what, well, you're standing in a burning house and I say, why aren't you leaving? And you say, well, I'm afraid of, I'm going to get burned. It's like, but you, <laughs> you're already going to get burned, right? In fact, right, you're already right. on fire, right? So, so you're already <laughs> failing at doing this by not doing it. So it's not fear of failure because you're actually more comfortable with failure than with success or even the potential of success, right?
3: Huh. Right.
0: I mean, just logically, it has to be, right? Right. Oh, no, that makes sense. But an excellent random guess. Go on.
3: (laughs) I was just going to be like, uh, well, there's a sense of failure. There's a fear of rejection. I was just running through the negatives.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, just running through it. No, uh, because you're already self-rejecting, right? There is no rejection. There's only self-rejection. There Right? is no rejection from the outside world. There really is only self-rejection, right? So somebody can say to me, I don't like your show. In fact, most people say to me, I don't like your show. Because the vast majority of people don't listen to my show, right? Uh, right, so right. they're either indifferent to or they don't like my show, right? right I get right. emails from people who say, I don't like your show. You're arrogant, you're smarmy, you're condescending, you're a know-it-all, you're this or that, the other, right? Eh, right, right. Fine. But, that's, but because I don't self-reject, they're just, it, it, it doesn't happen. It doesn't occur. It's a swing and a miss, right?
3: Right, right.
0: So you're already self-rejecting, so it can't be a fear of rejection, because if you were that afraid of rejection, you'd stop self-rejecting, right? which is the most painful. Because it's the only one that counts, right?
2: Right, right.
0: And I was doing this speech, I was doing this speech on Saturday. And uh, I don't know, it was like 175 people in, in the hall. And they were all like really smart student leaders, right? And uh, it was a great, uh, great crowd. I really liked it. But there were some people there who really didn't like what I was saying. And we sort of don't have to get into this, sitting there, arms crossed, stony-faced, right? Oh, yeah, right, yeah. And, I mean, that's, that's inevitable, that's natural, it would be completely bizarre and sort of pointless to go if that wasn't the case, right? Right, right. But um, I don't focus on those people and say my speech is, is bad. Right, right. Now, if everyone's doing that, I won't say that my speech is bad, I will say that I'm not connecting to the audience, and that may be because my speech is very good, right? Right? I mean, if, if, you go, if I were talking to a bunch of Christians and they got upset, it would be because my speech hit home, right? If I was an atheist and bored Christians, that would be a bad speech, right? Yeah. Uh, so let me, do, let me just finish the point. I apologize for that. So it's not, it's not fear of failure because you're already failing. It's not fear of rejection because you're already self-rejecting, which is the only rejection that counts. Now, let me give you, let me give you a hint because it's a tough question, right? But, but right. if you can't answer this question, you can't start your project, right? Right. So um, uh, if you want to look at what is stopping you in the future, what's, where's the first place to look? The past. Right. What were you most afraid of as a child? Well, we know the answer to that because it's the same for all of us. We were the most afraid of being attacked.
3: Right. Right. Right? Definitely.
0: And I mean, so, that's why, okay, sorry, go ahead.
3: I was just going to say that's why you grow the thick skin why you start listening to heavy metal in the first place and you get all big and strong just to, 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 because you're afraid of being attacked. It's a, it's a reaction to that, but yeah.
0: Right, right. And you're afraid of being attacked because you will be attacked. It's not an imaginary fear, right?
3: Right, right.
0: So I can guarantee you that if you do what you do, you're going to be attacked.
3: Hmm. Right.
0: I guarantee you it doesn't mean you're only going to be attacked but if you attempt to tell people or to reveal to people that their extreme preference for dark and sinister music is a symptom of trauma some people are going to thank you in time and some people will not thank you right because When you expose people's habits as being the scar tissue of trauma, you are exposing a grave secret. And people will either react as the victim of that secret, which is they will lunge towards that knowledge as a prisoner lunges at a loose rock in a prison wall, or they will react as an abuser, in which case they will attack you, for daring to speak the unspeakable.
3: Right. Right. Because if you you do that, then um, it I guess it brings a level of consciousness that they don't want. Um.
0: And, well, it, you know, let, let's say you're talking to a victim. The, 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 <laughs> all victims have inner abusers in their heads. They have to. They have to internalize their abusers in order to survive. I mean, that's natural right. and inevitable, in the same way that your body produces antibodies based upon the illness itself, in the same way that you, you become safe from smallpox by injecting a small amount of so- smallpox that your body can handle, you internalize your abusers in order to understand and navigate and appease and survive them, right?
3: Right, right.
0: So when you talk to a victim, you are also talking to his abusers in his head. And right. you, if you show sympathy for the victim and talk about the reality of the crimes that were committed against the victim, who else in his head hears that? Right. Users, abusers, right? Right. And they seriously do not fucking want you to talk about that shit. They rise up in a storm from the amygdala. They rise up like dragons. Like Nazgul. Like all the flaming hellhounds and horses from hell. They rise up to attack whoever turns the lights on and interrupts them in their feast. So that's... I mean, I would say that you know that, and I would say that that's what's stopping you.
3: Right, right. No, I think that I'm I'm just sitting here processing, and like that. No, that makes sense. I mean, it, it's because that ultimately that the fear is that I'm gonna go up against all these different. Um, no, no, abuse. it's not the fear. Oh.
0: It's not the fear. It's the certainty. Oh. It's, it's not a fear. I mean, I mean, it is a fear, but it, it's the certainty. Right? So the difference is, if I'm standing in, in front of a cage at the zoo, I'm not afraid of the lion, right? Right, right. Because there's a cage there, right? So the lion can't get at me, right? Right. If somebody opens the cage, I'm seriously scared because the lion might attack me, right? Right, right. If the lion lowers its head and charges at me, I know that the lion is going to attack me, well, because the lion is attacking me, right? right. So the one is right. the certainty of safety, and the second is the possibility of the attack, and the third is the reality of attack. Now, the certainty of safety is why people live tiny lives, is why they don't ever talk about anything. It's why they they live these shallow, non-existent, sports-addicted, patriot-addicted, crowd-addicted, conformity-addicted, appeasement-addicted, self-erasing, non-lives. Because they need to keep the lion in the cage. It's only the tall poppy that gets cut down. It's only the nail that sticks up that gets hammered down. To stand up in this world is to be attacked. And you're attacked by the abusers. And you're also attacked by your fellow slaves, because when you stand up, you remind them that they're not.
3: Ultimately, it's, it's not just the
0: concept of, of fear. It's a, it's a physiological response. To an actual attack that will certainly occur. And, and, and more than one. A whole series, right? Because you're going into a very volatile community, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean if, if, uh, if people have had that bad a childhood that they're into that kind of really dark death metal... Um, you're going into a pretty volatile community. Right. Right. It's like going, I mean, it's not quite this extreme, but it's like going into a community of drug addicts and talking about the ACE study, right? The effects of childhood and that drugs are a way of masking childhood abuse. I mean, that is some heavy shit for people and they react very harshly to it.
3: Right. 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 Now, I just think that that's, that's amazing that it, um, because I guess I always framed it as, as just, the, you know, the thought of fear of what it having, but it, that it, it's a, you were saying it's a certain, um, a certain danger and that it's an actual physiological response to that certain danger that it's
0: not just a concept that I can't seem to grasp. It's, uh, and it's not personal and it's not in your head and it's not, right, it's not just made up and it's not just random anxiety, right? I mean, any more than being charged by a fucking grizzly is, you know, you're scared because you're neurotic. Right, right. right. You know, I tell you, it is some hard shit. It is some hard shit to grab humanity by the scruff of its neck and try and get it to its goddamn knees. It is a hard, hard job. It takes takes balls of steel to stand in front of the species and say, you can do better. Right. People don't like it. Leave me alone, leave get- me to my smallness, leave me to my tininess, leave me to my non-existence, leave me to my hiding from the vast predators that rule the world. Right. And to me, that's fine. Hey, if you want to hide out for the rest of your life, that's fine with me. Just be aware of it. Be, I mean, nothing, there's never any problem in life as long as, you're, as long as you know it. Nothing you do is a problem as long as you know it consciously. It's the people who think they're courageous and attack anyone who really stands up. I mean, they're the real problem. But anyway, I digress.
3: Right, right. No, and and the reason why there's all there's all that fear and why you feel locked up and that you as if you you can't is because your 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 body, I guess, and your mind is systematically trying to protect you from a, an actual uh, an, a real perceived danger. Um, and that's that's why it's not i mean because I, I i don't know i just i maybe i'm reiterating what i just said but i i always thought it was just it's some concept it's something having to do with my mind i have to just figure out my my thoughts and re- rearrange them but um uh no that it's that makes so much more sense why it's so permanent why it's so definite why it's like your feet are in concrete and you're not moving anywhere and you're trying to yank yourself out at it, but no, that 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 definitely makes it makes a lot of sense. So uh,
0: I mean, I can put the I can do the final bit here, which will truly blow your mind if you like. Certainly, certainly. The final bit to this is the question of why your unconscious gives you these negative feelings like fear and anxiety, but doesn't identify their cause, right? Doesn't tell you, right? So <laughs> you know, if I see the lion charging at me at the zoo because the gate. The cage is open. My unconscious doesn't hide from me why we're terrified, right? (laughs) Right. Right? So the question is, why does your unconscious paralyze you but not tell you why you're paralyzed? Right? Because your unconscious could, if it wanted. You could have a dream. You could have an impulse. It could give you repetitive thoughts or visions or whatever. Your unconscious could absolutely tell you why you're paralyzed, but it doesn't. Why? Is the unconscious an asshole? I don't think so.
3: No. Hmm. I, the only thing I can come up with is that because it, that's what it was doing to try to protect you um, when you were when you were little.
0: Yes, like, but your unconscious you... knows that you're not little now. Hmm. I mean, the unconscious is, is is better at time than we are, right?
3: Right, right, right.
0: I mean the unconscious knows when puberty is supposed to happen even when we don't, right?
3: Right, right. Huh. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm drawing a blink. I'm not I'm not quite sure.
0: Well, because um, because if you know the source of the fear, it will no longer be paralyzing. Right? So this is the kind of paralysis oh. that only occurs when you don't know the source. It can't paralyze you if you know the source.
3: Oh. <laughs> Huh. No, that no, that really does make yeah. Because it it defeats the purpose of of the physiological response. It it knows that once you put the pieces of the puzzle together, the physiological response ceases to be, a new form of reasoning develops, and you will move forward toward the perceived not the perceived, but the certain danger which it is trying to protect you from. That's interesting. Huh.
0: Right. And uh, I would say that the source of the fear is your inner child, but the invisibility of the fear is your inner parents. Huh. Hmm. Because it's secrets. And anything that is a secret right. comes from abusers. Anything which is a secret within you comes from abusers because they're the ones who benefit from secrets, not not us, right?
3: Right, right.
0: The truth does set us free. Therefore, any time we're enslaved, it's because of the slave owners. Right,
3: right. Hmm. No, uh, no, that was that was definitely mind blowing. It's something that uh, I'm really appreciate you going over this with me uh, because this this is uh, very eye opening. It's extremely helpful. Um, that's it's very interesting.
0: And uh, Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. And so none of this means that you have to do it or not do it. Or, I mean, just the important thing is just to know, right? right. The decision always right. comes from the knowing.
3: Right, right. Definitely. No, no, definitely. I, it just thank you for helping me uh, clear that up. I think that that's, um, it gives me a better place to work from um, instead of, uh, a kind of vicious cycle of self-attack and trying to figure out, uh, you know, the concept instead of tooling around in an in, in in abstract. There's some...
0: Yeah, very, very little within us that is deep and meaningful comes in isolation. It's almost always from our environment in some way, at least, you know, if it's that deep. So that's just a good place to start. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, let me know how it goes, and uh, I, uh, I hope bet, that you. you uh, I hope you find a way to do it because I think it's a good thing to do. But I think it's definitely a challenging community that you're going to launch yourself into, and I think just to be aware of it is uh, is useful.
3: Definitely, definitely. Again, I I really appreciate the conversation.
0: My pleasure. All right. Do we got me somebody else? Going once. Going twice. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Hi. Uh,
2: I, I emailed in a couple of times. It's about my friend uh, friend's suicide.
0: Yes. Yes. How are you doing?
2: Uh, I'm all right. Um, yeah. So I guess my question is, uh, I'm just wondering how I'm supposed to, uh, you know, cope with it.
0: Yeah. So just for the other listeners, uh, again, no names, if you don't mind, just, uh, just talk a little bit about the circumstances and the history.
2: Uh, all right, um, yeah, she, So the supposed story that came to me was that her boyfriend, uh, her parents didn't want them to be be together, so she told her boyfriend to shoot her and then shoot himself, and, uh, that's the supposed story, but, you know, in my eyes, it could just as easily been a murder, because supposedly also that she wanted, uh, to come back to Bandera that day, and he didn't want her to, so...
0: To come back to where, sorry?
2: Oh, where I live, sorry.
0: Sorry, I didn't quite f- f- hear that. Oh,
2: where where I live, sorry.
0: Uh, okay, so uh, so y- your concern is, I mean, you'll, you'll never know, I would imagine, right? Whether it was murder or yeah. suicide. I mean, the fact is that she's dead, right? Yes. And uh, if you can talk a little bit about your history of your relationship with the woman.
2: Um, well, she was, I was always, uh, you know, kind of sad. From like past things before her, and she she not I'm sorry. I'm I'm
0: having a t- You don't have Skype by chance, do you? I'm just I'm having a tough time following what you're saying. You either need to enunciate, or I need to call you back on Skype.
2: It's hard to hear.
0: It's 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 hard to hear. Either you're mumbling, or like if you can just if you don't have Skype, if you could just try and speak more clearly to make sure that I don't keep annoying you with pardon me and what.
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, is this any right here?
0: Uh, yeah. Let's let's keep going.
2: All right. Um, yeah, she was just always uh, very nice and would always care for me, and was always there for me whenever I needed her. And uh, yeah, we were we were gonna date, but uh, her ex, which was the ex at the time, the one that supposedly killed her, you know, uh, you know, they were still talking. So she she was kind of she said she was in love with him. So yeah, and then she moved away back over there, and then, yeah, that'll
0: it. I'm, I'm sorry, did you just end your sentence, or did we lose you?
2: Oh, no, 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 yeah, I ended my sentence.
0: All right, and uh, how, how can I help you?
2: Sorry, I didn't hear that What?
0: Uh, how can I help you?
2: Oh, I'm just, um, because, I mean, I feel like, I feel like I should have been there to protect her, you know, and I feel like. If I would have texted her more and everything, I have a bunch of what-ifs, you know.
0: When was the last time that you had contact with her before she died?
2: Um, it was, I think, a, probably a month before it happened.
0: And uh, uh, had you been there to help her? I mean, I would imagine she had some issues, uh, if this is the way her life ended. Were you there to help her with her issues? But You said that she was there when you needed her, or were you there when she needed you? I mean, I don't so mean at the correct. end, of course. I know not, but no, beforehand.
2: It, it, yeah. Um, see, that's the thing. I think. I think if because uh, I, I knew about the issues, I just never really talked to her about it. Because she she just never, you know, she just never brought them up after she told me about them.
0: And so what I were the thought, issues?
2: Um, it was that her parents were like, her dad was abusive. Her her mom was like uh, uh, overprotective. Yeah, like, that she wouldn't let her out anywhere.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, it's uh, not exactly overprotective. Overprotective, I think, is well, actually yeah. quite good. But, yeah, someone who lets their kid get abused is not exactly overprotective. But anyway, go on.
2: Yeah. um, And, yeah, and then her her, her boyfriend, of course, was supposedly okay. abusive.
0: And did you know her boyfriend was abusive before his death?
2: Before what? Well, before she died. Um, she never really told me about it. She just told me that uh, he was, like... He was one of the people that always would, like, oh, who are you calling, texting, you know, like, kind of, how can I say
0: it? Um, like, kind of je- jealous and intrusive. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And did you know he was abusive?
2: Um, yeah, I had, I had the impulse that he was, yeah.
0: I'm sure. I'm not sure what you mean when you say you had the impulse that he was.
2: Never said exactly that he was, but she told me the how he got jealous, how he always yelled, how he did all that. So I
0: don't know. And what did you do about that? And what did you do about that?
2: Um, I was just, you know, I just said, oh, I'm so sorry, you know. If there's anything I can do, just let me know. And then she was like, okay. And then she just didn't bring it back up.
0: And when, uh, when did that happen?
2: That was, see, she died like four months after she moved back to where she where she was before she moved to my town and uh that's like five months before she died
0: uh okay and when did she die
2: um three months ago
0: right and when did she so she told you four months before she died that she thought her boyfriend was yelly and controlling and whatever right mm-hmm. yes and uh, how long have you been listening to this show
2: Ever since, I think about six months ago.
0: So it was after she told you, a month after she told you that her boyfriend was abusive, in her words, you started listening to this show?
2: Mm-hmm. It was, it was during the summer, and, or like right before the summer.
0: Right, right. And was there any, uh, uh, did you get any impulse, um, either as a, re- a result of this show or of something else, to talk to her about what was going on with her boyfriend?
2: I'm sorry, you broke up a
0: little bit. Did you ever have the uh, impulse to talk to her more, either based on this show or for some other reason, to talk to her more about what she'd said about her boyfriend being abusive?
2: Oh yeah, I really, I really wanted to, but I mean, every like, whenever I'd get up, bring it up, she'd kind of, you know, get get a little snarky about it. Like,
0: can you give uh, me an example?
2: Yeah, like if I was like, well well, tell me more. What what does he do? And she'd be like, oh, well, no, 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 no. He he doesn't do anything. Never mind. You know, she could try to just downplay it.
0: Right, right. Because
2: she always said, supposedly, she loved him.
0: And um, was she more honest about other things in your relationship and this was the exception or did she avoid this kind of self-knowledge in general?
2: Yeah, see, with me, she was always like, towards me, she was the opposite, you know? She'd always like, talk about love and everything. She'd talk about how I, I don't deserve what I've been getting from girls, you know. And then she'd always talk like that. But whenever it come, came to her, she would just shut down with it. She wouldn't want to talk about
0: it. Right, right. Okay. And uh, can you tell me why she was in your life in the first place? I'm not criticizing why. I'm just, I'm just curious, no, no, no. right? I mean, why she was um, in your life.
2: We, we, had a, we had a class together and during school. and.
0: Yeah, that that's right, not what I'm a- that's, that's not what I'm asking. <laughs> You had classes with lots of people, right? So why yeah, why yeah, was yeah. she in your life? What, what was it in your life or your history that this person, who you couldn't talk to honestly about very important right. topics, why, why was she in your life?
2: Right. Um, hmm. uh, I guess it's because she started talking to me when I looked depressed and nobody else would talk to me at that time, you know?
0: Okay, so she was uh, uh, definitely helpful to you, but she wouldn't accept any help from you, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. 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 Well, that's tough, right? That's tough. I mean, people who are like that, they can be very helpful, uh, but they're like people who, in a sense, they always buy you dinner, but they won't ever let you buy them dinner. It's like, well, I'm hungry, but, you know, hey, reciprocity is good. So that's a tough situation for sure. Yeah. Do you feel, looking back... That there's more that you could have done
2: uh, very much well like what I feel like I could have um because she, she would text me sometimes I wouldn't answer and I feel like I would have stayed in touch somehow maybe that night she would have texted me before she did it or maybe she would have talked to me about it
0: but she didn't talk to you about it when she was in less of an extreme state right just that, you know, like, so, so. I, what do I know? I'm just some guy on the internet. But this, is, this is what my thoughts are: is that if she consistently rejected an important topic in her life, i.e., her her pretty destructive boyfriend, if she avoided that topic when it was less extreme, it seems less likely to me that she would then embrace that topic when she was in a more extreme state. If that makes any sense. Right. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Like, if I can't run because I've stubbed my toe, I sure as hell can't run if I break my leg, right? Right, right. So when I'm in a more extreme state, it's not like things become more possible. If that makes sense.
2: Right. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: And uh, did you uh, did you ever talk to her about her childhood?
2: She just uh, she just told me about how her parents were in her childhood. And that's about it. She never told me anything specific.
0: And did you ask her, uh, and I'm not saying this because you should or shouldn't, I'm just curious, right? Did you ask her? uh, And did she, she wouldn't talk more about it?
2: Um, she, yeah, she just told told me about her parents and how her life was, uh, like she, she was always bound down and everything. She could never go out and do anything. She was resentful about that. And, yeah, that's all she told me
0: about her past. Really. Right, right. Uh, I look. I I, I want to make sure that I'm doing something to help you, but I, I do sort of feel like I'm yeah. pulling teeth here.
2: It's all right, yeah.
0: So you you tell me what it is that, that that would be the most helpful to you, and I'm I'm happy to provide it if I can. But me just asking you questions and getting these sort of little answers uh, isn't going to do anybody any good.
2: Right. All right. Yeah. Um. Well, the thing is, because I, I just found out, like, last week that she died, and she died three months ago, you know, and uh, I don't know, like, I just, I just feel like, because, you know, like, there's only been one time in my life where I've been, like, actually happy and everything, and I started to come up again, and then all of a sudden, you know, the suicide happened, and it just feels like every time I'm about to come up, you know, and get happier, Something bad just always brings me back
0: down. Right, right, right. Well, you know, I I can't give you any advice about the past uh, because the past is the past, right? And this is what happened. But I can tell you this, my friend. If someone's in an abusive relationship and won't talk about it, it is not going to change. Right, so uh, you know, I can't do anything. Obviously, nobody can uh, about about what happened in the past. But I think the key thing is to look at signs about the future. Right?
2: Yeah.
0: If you, if anybody wants to get over an abused history, it takes a lot of work, a lot of commitment, years of work. Yeah. Right. It's like it's like somebody, uh, it's like somebody who weighs six hundred pounds. Right. So. You, <laughs> Uh, I weigh two, I I guess I weigh 195 and I got 405 pounds of baggage, right? So if you weigh 600 pounds, everybody knows it's going to take you years to get down to to even a remotely healthy weight, right? Mm -hmm. And they also know that you have to be aware of the fact that you're overweight. You have to be committed to losing the weight. You have to have a coach. To lose that kind of weight, you better get a doctor involved and a nutritionist and a psychologist, and you better regularly monitor what you're doing, and you better be knowledgeable, and you better be in it for the long haul, and you better start exercising when it's safe to do so. Like, it's a whole massive flurry of activity to lose 400 pounds, right? Yeah. Now, if somebody's 400 pounds overweight, like, so this woman was 600 pounds, and every time you went over, she was eating more... You know, cookies and chocolate and chips and cake and all this, right? And any time you tried to bring up her weight, she said, "Oh, I'm fine. There's no, no, nothing to talk about," right? Mm-hmm. What are the odds of her losing weight in that situation? Extremely low. Zero.
2: Yeah.
0: Zero. Not extremely low. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless we count getting bitten by a land born shark or something, it's not going to happen, right? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And so my concern is that you, had, you were depressed when you met her and you had someone in your life who would not talk about her issues, who told you about these issues and then refused to talk about it. I consider that a very destructive thing to do to someone. I consider it very destructive to say my boyfriend is abusive and then when the other person tries to talk about it more say, oh, it's no big deal, it's nothing, it didn't, right? That is a destructive thing to do. Mm-hmm. Does is. that make any sense to you?
2: Yeah, it really does.
0: And uh... So there's a clue, right? There's, there's one indication, yes. right? She had an abusive history which means she's 600 pounds. Like it or not, that's the reality. And then the question is, what is she doing about that baggage? If she's not doing anything about that baggage, that baggage will get worse. Mm -hmm. It will get worse. I mean, you're either getting healthier or you're getting sicker. There's not much in the middle, in my opinion. Right. So my concern and my, you know, my sort of advice to you is, I mean, and how how you deal with, you know, the reality is that nothing you did prior to her extremity helped her because she avoided help, right? Yeah. Right. She pursued this ex-boyfriend or they got back together. She was abused. He he told you and you tried to help and she rejected it and so on. And then you hadn't talked to her or communicated with her in three months, right? So, look, again, this is all just my opinion, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I think. There is no magic phone call that saves someone's life. Right. Mental health is like physical health. You either have good habits or you have bad habits. Right? And if you have good habits, then you will get healthier. And if you have bad habits, which is the same as not having good habits, then you will get worse. So let me give you an analogy, right? So if I'm a friend of yours and I say, geez, you know, I'm, I'm worried about my teeth. Uh, you know, I keep getting cavities and uh, plaque buildup and my gums are receding and I've got gingivitis and halitosis and demons living in my molars or whatever, right? And you say, well, hey, you know, you should really, you know, floss and go to the dentist. And I'm like, oh, no, I got no problems with my teeth. Everything's fine, right? Well, you you Mm -hmm. can't drag me to the dentist and tie me in the chair. I have to. I mean, you can't. That's not legal. Now, let's say I then phone you up and say, I had to have six teeth removed. Mm -hmm. Are you going to sit there and say, well, if you called me yesterday, you wouldn't have had to have those six teeth removed?
2: No.
0: Of course not, right? Because it's too late. Yeah. Right. There's no magic phone call. There's no magic word. There's no, if only this opportunity had opened up, she might be alive. Yeah. Because she had opportunity for help. Look, you can get free mental health help. Just about any time. You you go to the hospital, you say, I'm feeling crazy, I'm feeling suicidal. They will give you a a psychiatrist. They will give you a therapist. They will give you resources for free. There are books on mental health that you can read. There are exercises. There are resources on the web on mental health and well-being that are free. You can go to the library and check out books and read up about it. Like, if somebody's 600 pounds, it's not because nobody has any idea in the world how to lose weight. Right. Right? Yeah. And if somebody is that unwell in their soul, it's not because nobody has any idea how to improve mental health. It's because they have rejected that as an option. And again, this is all just my opinion. I'm not saying there's any truth oh, to this. Yeah. is all just my opinion, right? But,
2: Makes sense, yeah.
0: But there is no saving people after a certain point that, that I've known. Again, I, this is just my opinion and my experience. And look, I mean, this could also just be my defenses, right? Because there are people in my history who are not doing well mentally in terms of like mental health and all that, right? And I poured huge amounts of time and effort and energy into people trying to help them trying to suggest going to therapy, trying to suggest self-knowledge, trying to, so read this little book, read this fucking pamphlet, for Christ's sake. Look at these studies. Look at these statistics. There is a way that you can get better. There is a way you can be happier. And they didn't. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't. And that's, you know, I I I mean, I don't even, I'm not even going to say whether that's a choice or not, but it's a reality. Reality. It's a reality.
2: Mm-hmm. And I've, uh, have you ever had to deal with a suicide?
0: No. No, so this is why I'm saying this is all just bullshit, right? But, I mean, I think there's some value uh, in it, but uh, I'm not going yeah, to tell you how to deal with it. I'm just saying that this is my, yeah, my thoughts on it.
2: Yeah, I think it's great, yeah, but I was just asking. You know, do they have... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, this is my first one,
0: but of course. Right, and my my concern is, I don't want you to have a second one.
2: Yeah.
0: It it is it is it is very, very hard to help people, even when they desperately want to be helped. Right. Right. So even if somebody is six hundred pounds and desperately wants to lose the weight, it is still very oh, hard huh. to help that person. Right because there's a reason that they're 600 pounds and they have to uncover all of that stuff. Plus, if they've been 600 pounds for 20 years, they have to look at 20 years of being 600 pounds and all that losses and all that. And so their temptation to flee back into food and whatever is, is enormous. Yeah. You are not a mental health professional. I am not a mental health professional. I don't diagnose cancers. I don't diagnose mental illness. I don't do any of that stuff. Because I'm not trained, I'm not qualified. Right. Right. To deal with a suicide requires, I mean, there's a reason that they involuntarily commit people like this, Mm -hmm. because it requires around-the-clock supervision. It requires sometimes a complete medical workup. Sometimes it requires temporary drugs. Sometimes it requires restraints. It requires a huge investment from a highly trained and specialized field, right? Right. Yeah. You and I are not trauma surgeons.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Yeah. There's no way to recreate that entire knowledge set and legal authority that a psychiatric ward might have, right? You, just, you can't recreate it. You can't do it. It's like saying to you, listen, uh, so you're out walking in the woods with a friend and he gets mauled by a grizzly and three of his limbs are hanging on by a thread, okay, save him. No, that requires a team of doctors and an entire hospital and anesthesiologists and nurses and interns and, and residents. It's a whole complex team to save somebody who's that badly damaged. Right. You can't do it with a phone call. You can't do it with a text message. It's like you can't, somebody texts you and says you're having a heart attack. There's no text back that you can send that says, hey, walk it off, you'll be fine. Or I really sympathize, that's terrible. Hey, my heart attack's gone, I'm, I'm all better. No, you say, right. get to a hospital. Right, right. Suicidality is an incredibly entrenched and stubborn and problematic mental health problem. And there are very few people, even in the mental health profession, who are really good at doing that, in my opinion, at dealing with that. Right. So don't put upon yourself the burdens that only an entire team of legally enabled people with 12, 14, 16 years of education and experience or more would have a tough time dealing with.
2: Right.
0: Lift that burden off yourself. It is not a matter of a phone call. That is magical thinking. That is like a Jesus thing. You know, if only I touched her forehead, <laughs> right? She'd have been fine. No, she would not have been fine. Anybody uh, yeah. looks, who looks at their boyfriend and says, murder-suicide is a really good idea right now, cannot be saved by a phone call. Understand?
2: Exactly. Exactly, yeah.
0: But you need to, so, I mean, as far as that goes, I mean, I just look back and say, well, damn, that was tragic. But there's nothing that you could have done. You didn't know it was going to happen. You hadn't talked to her in three months. She'd rejected any conversations or help that you'd offered her in the past. Obviously, her family didn't help her. She had friends, maybe siblings, aunts, uncles who were much closer to her than you do. They didn't know. They didn't help. She may have had a doctor who didn't help. She may have been committed at some point in the past, and that didn't help. She may have gone through an entire regimen of attempted treatments, and that didn't help. Right. So, you know, I don't mean to puncture your, <laughs> your, your sense of importance and, and omnipotence here, but a, a phone call from you would not have done anything. Returning right. a text, right? People don't get into murder-suicide packs because someone didn't return their text, right? Yeah. yeah. Right? It goes a little deeper than that, right? Mm-hmm. Don't yeah, attempt to substitute... Right. Yeah, don't attempt to substitute some one thing that you could have done for something that an entire community of, of mental health professionals perhaps couldn't have done. Wow. Yeah,
2: I've never thought of it like that.
0: And and look into your friendship to make sure that, that you can see the signs, right? People have had abusive histories and they're not working on them or they haven't worked on them substantially. And I say ideally, if not necessarily, with the help of a good mental health professional, they are dangerous. They are dangerous. Not because they're bad, they're just they're just dangerous. I mean, you wouldn't go to a, a rifle range with somebody wearing a blindfold, right? Let's practice. But first, let's spin three times, right? <laughs> right. So people who are right. blindfolded, right? Words are weapons. People who are blindfolded shoot randomly. And people who lack self-knowledge, who have not examined their own histories, shoot randomly and are very dangerous. And that's yeah. the standard that I would like you to, to have. Oh, uh, yeah. Do not try to help people in that way. Do not give yourself that magical thinking that just being around makes people better. A couple of text messages, a couple of phone calls, a couple of conversations makes people better. It doesn't.
2: It doesn't. So I should should just um, take this as a life lesson and move on to the people I do have in my life right now, right?
0: Yeah, look, I mean, grieve, of course, right? I mean, a friend of yours is dead. I mean, that's a very sad thing. But for heaven's sakes, don't feel guilty. Right. I mean, suicide is also, it's a very aggressive act to everybody who's left behind, right? I mean, anybody who kills himself or herself knows exactly what it is going to do to everyone who's left behind.
2: Yeah, everybody that cared
0: for you. Yeah, you know, to me, and anybody who kills themselves in a way that everybody else knows it was a suicide, that to me, I'm, you know, I'm going to be kind of brutally frank here, that to me is the act of an asshole. If you really want to kill yourself, then do it in such a way that people think it was an accident. Right, right. Because if they know that it was a suicide, that is a total fuck you from the suicide Right, you know, exactly. go into the, into the woods and rub yourself with marinade and dance naked in front of a grizzly bear. Whatever, right? Yeah. Get lost in the woods. Swim out to sea in a strong current. In some way, that people say, "Damn, that was bad luck." How sad, right? But it yeah. it messes people's up. It messes people's heads up so badly to have a knowledge, knowledgeable and conscious suicide in the midst that. I just think it is, it is such a destructive action on so many levels.
2: Yeah. I mean, like, I just, I can't think, I keep thinking of like what she might've been thinking that night, you know, like, wow. I mean, to me, that's kind of low, you know, to do that. Yeah. And, the, and the person that I used, you know, I used to talk to, like, she seemed like she'd never do that. Yeah, like, that's always how it seemed. Right. I like of everybody I knew, you know,
0: like, I wouldn't... Well, but she, she did, right? It. But but she did, exactly. right? So so the empirical evidence is that she did and she could. And, uh, either, you know, even if she was susceptible to the boyfriend, she still chose to be susceptible, whatever, right? Chose to avoid help. So you may not know, you may never know, but... And it, it's really hard to fathom the thoughts of somebody who's involved in that. I think Christopher Hitchens just wrote about his mother's... Uh, suicide with her lover, uh, and uh, I mean it's brutal. She actually did try to phone him, uh, but the um, the opera hotel operator couldn't couldn't connect uh, to him. He I think the phone just rang and rang because he was out or something like that. So she actually did try to call him right before she killed herself, yeah. and so yeah, he's had to live with that. That's a viciously brutal thing, so have to live with. It is. So, you know, my sympathies, I mean, I don't want to sound cold and harsh and I'm not saying like, ah, you know, if she was a terrible person and blah, 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 I'm just, you know, this, there's, there's no guilt on your side for somebody who kills themselves. I mean, you, you can't, you can't stop, you can't help that. That's That's a very, very specialized and professional and legally enabled and medical, sometimes medically based thing to do with that even then doesn't have a hugely high success rate. So, you know, like if if, if somebody loses a limb, when you're out swimming, they lose a limb to a shark, and they die, even though you try to do everything, you don't sit there and say, geez, I should have invented medicine and trauma surgery in the three minutes I had, right? Right, right. You're like, damn, that was really traumatic, and I have a lot to process. But guilt at not saving that person is not one of them.
2: Yeah, I just got to process it.
0: Yeah, process it, and, and, but, but without the guilt. And, and with consciousness that you want to make sure that people like that aren't in your life. Because if you have the susceptibility to things like depression, or as you say, if you get better and then you get, you know, something happens to kick you back down, you've really got to be careful about the people who are in your life, right? You know, it's like if you have depression, it's like you, you I mean, it's not like you but it's like you're an alcoholic, right? If you're an alcoholic and you've quit, you know, you, you can't have heavy drinkers in your life. And if you're attempting to recover from a mental health issue, I mean, seriously, you you can't have mentally ill people in your life. You just can't. If you're trying to quit heroin, you can't have people taking heroin in your living room for hours upon hours, right? You get that that's not going to help, right? It's just going to make you go back. So if you're overcoming something like depression, you cannot have mentally ill people in your life. Right. As you say, it's just going to keep interfering with your recovery.
2: Pulling me down, yeah.
0: Yeah, you, you just, you can't, you can't do it. It, it is exactly the same as an addiction. I'm not saying that depression is an addiction, but the metaphor is, is close, yeah. right? Yeah. You just, you got to be really careful who you allow into, your, or, into the orbit of your mind, right? Because everyone that we allow into our life has a huge effect on us, whether we like it or not, whether we want it. Or not. Right. It's just a reality. Everyone we let into our life has a huge effect on us. And you have to be very careful and, and, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? You have to be very judgmental about who you let into your life. Right. And very, um, you have to have a very, a very narrow door that people have to get through to get into your life, particularly if you're recovering from something like depression.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for a lot, of stuff. That that really, 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 really helps. I can't, I can't tell you how much that helps.
0: Listen, I hope so. And and yeah, well. do me a favor if you can. Listen to this again once or twice if you can, because you'll slip back, oh, like will. we all, Right. Right.
2: I definitely will. All right. Uh, I really appreciate it, Steph.
0: Hey, you're welcome, man. And look, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you're going through this. I really, I just wanted to really express my sympathies for that. It is a shocking and difficult and ugly thing to have to process. And I I really am sorry for that. Uh, So I just wanted to end with that, with that sympathy. Well, thank you, Steph. All right, man. Have a great day. You too. All the best. All right. Well, I think we're coming up on the, the close of the show. Uh, so I just wanted to, uh, uh, I don't know, a few cute parenting stories, I suppose. Why not? Um, uh, it, this, uh, it was about uh, 10 days ago. Isabella said her first six-sentence word. It was, um, uh, data come out big red car when I stepped out of the Volvo, which was pretty, pretty cool. And uh, it's just amazing to me that this language stuff is really, really fast, right? So I slept in a little bit this morning. I got up at 8 because I was pretty tired from all that travel uh, and sleeping on a rubbery leather couch. And um, uh, I, 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 I be a go in red, red room because <laughs> she likes to study. Uh, Christina doesn't like her to be in the study because it's not exactly the safest, the most child-friendly environment. But she, uh, she, Isabella loves to study. Uh, She likes opening the computer, opening up the CD drive, the DVD drive, taking out the CD or DVD putting it back in and closing it again. She's quite, quite enamored of that. She also likes pushing, there's three buttons, right? There's a, a light button, which turns the light on the front on. There's a power button and a reset button. And she likes to, to, to touch the buttons. And I'm trying to get her to just touch the light button, but she will, of course, when I'm in the middle of doing something, touch the reset button, but that's okay. That's, it's quite natural. And that's going to happen. And we were at the, um, we were at the uh, pet store the other day. I take her to the pet store at least once a week because she just loves the animals. And there was a I think it was a little Pomeranian, you know, one of these things that looks like a, um, a chia pet that sneezed and went beige. Uh, it was up on its hind legs, and it was sort of scrabbling on the window, as this is a big window. Uh, and he's uh, like, "Ducky washing window, doggy washing window, <laughs> which I thought was just just fantastic. I wouldn't have thought of it. It was a great observation. So. Uh, yeah, I do. Actually, we have a pretty good. Uh, I'm telling you, I'm still having sound problems with these things. I had a mic that failed, and my boom microphone is is tough, right? I just uh, with all the donations that I got last month, I bought a nice $200 boom microphone, which. Um, uh, is, is sort of unidirectional. The problem is is that it faces where the camera is facing, so they pointed the camera at me during the speech, but the boom microphone uh, is not good at picking up lateral noise. That's sort of what it's about, but the the sound, I only realized this afterwards, the sound was coming from the lateral speakers, so we kind of needed to point the boom mic- microphone at the speakers and the camera at me, but because it's attached on top, you can't really do that, so uh, it's a bit of a hassle, but um, sound is, is still not quite as perfect as I'd like, but uh, certainly better than the... Uh, the Bednarik debate. So uh, yes, I do have a very energetic listener who is, uh, we have four cameras on me. So it's going to be a, a reconstruction of me in a truly holographic way. Uh, and uh, so uh, that should be pretty cool. And we should have that in a couple of days. And I think that's it. I uh, I really do appreciate everyone. Uh, it was a great donation month last month. Uh, please, please keep it up. I am going to buy some lighting for the study because, um, I'd like to sweat. So uh, to make to make it look a little bit less sort of freakazoidy uh, and sort of washed out and zombie-like. So I should be a little bit less blue and purple uh, when, uh, when that's all done. I think I'm going to get that all set up. I've got the quote from it. It's fairly expensive, but I think it's worth doing. And uh, so I'll do that when I get back from uh, Libertopia. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing everyone in Libertopia. There will be sh- no uh, show next week. So... I think that's important to remember, but we will pick up the week after that. And uh, I will see California listeners uh, in less than a week, I suppose. Yeah, it's quite a lot of travel this, uh, at this time. So have yourselves a wonderful week, everyone. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting this show. And I will talk to you soon.